Genesis chapter 17, I tell you, I began working on this and uh, it just keeps piling up. You know, at first I was like, man, I'm going to do chapter second half of chapter 17 and all of chapter 19 tonight. We can do it all. And now I think we're down to like one verse we'll get through. So <laughs> as it just keeps piling up, but, but uh, we want to continue there. And we, we worked all the way up to verse, I got my glasses, verse 15 uh, last week. So we will start there in verse 15 and just kind of keep moving on and see how far, how far we can get tonight. And we're just going to walk through this passage together. So this could either be quick or we could be here for two hours. I keep feeling like this, by the way, on Sunday morning also. I get up and start studying and you just realize you could stay here for a long time. Um, and Sunday morning doing, doing Isaiah, my goodness, Isaiah 11, I feel like I, I left out half of what I wanted to say. And, and I probably preached too long at that Isaiah 40 this week, even more so. I mean, you're starting with comfort, my people comfort and ending with mounting up on wings of eagles, you know? And so getting there to that is going to be, it's going to be some work. So, uh, but we're committed. We have an extra hour, right? Don't, isn't that the, isn't that the way it works? <laughs> So we're committed. We'll make it. We'll make it work. I thought this was a good Sunday to do it. Um, Genesis chapter 17. We're in the midst of this story of Abraham working through this uh, passage and kind of seeing how God has made promises and keeping promises, seeing the relationship between Abraham and God and how Abraham and Sarah are working through these things. And so if you know, we've we started really here the end a little bit of chapter 11, but really in earnest in chapter 12, when God comes to Abram and makes three promises, I'm going to make you a great nation. I'm going to give you a land. I'm going to bless you. And so he makes those three promises to Abram. And then, and then from there, we start to see this relationship, how challenges arise. And even in the midst of those challenges, even when Abram fails a little bit, God still remains true. And, and we see how God keeps reiterating those promises and showing them how. So in Genesis 15, even after Abraham has messed up some in Genesis 15, God says, go out, look at the stars. I'm going to give you uh, a, a, a descendants like the stars in the sky, the sands of the sea. He could recommits himself to it. Then we see how Abram, um, passes this test of courage, if you will, and saves his, his nephew Lot. We see how Abram does all of these things in God still. In Genesis, in Genesis here, the last uh, week that we did in Genesis 17, again reiterates his promise. Here's my promise and gives him the sign, the sign of circumcision. We talked about that last week. We're not going to rehash that. We've already done it. And so then he comes here and remember that God is doing something God is doing something. And so God, who has made this covenant with Abraham, and, and by the way, he's changed in Genesis 17. He changes his name to Abraham as father of many. And so God has made this covenant. We saw this last week where he says, Behold, my covenant is with you in verse 4. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but Abraham. And then we get those I have and I wills. I have made you the father of multitude nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful. I will, I will. So God is doing something. I will establish, I will give it to you. I will be there, God. So God is doing something and making a promise that he's going to do something. The covenant God makes is unilateral. It's God making. It's not some negotiation that's taking place. It's not as if God is looking and said, Abraham, let's make a deal. What would you like in the deal? No, God says, here is the deal. 
This is what we are going to do. It's unilateral. It's eternal. As it says there, even in, um, I think that's verse Verse 7 of chapter 17, it's an everlasting covenant. It's eternal because God makes it because God is eternal. So God's never by his goodness and his goodness it works both ways. His goodness necessitates the fact that he's never going to break his promise, right? He's always true. He's never going to break it. So therefore, every promise he makes is eternal. And it's also gracious. Because what we've seen over the last couple of weeks is Abraham is not really deserving of God's promises. He continues to mess up. And, and, and before you think it's over, I mean, we're about to go through chapter 17, 18, 19, and you think we got smooth sailing because Isaac's on his way. But then in chapter 20, Abraham messes up again. And so God is going to continue to keep his promises. But when God acts, when God acts, Everybody else must react, if you will. When God acts, it means something for us. So God says, I will, I will, I will. He's sovereign. He's not dependent on anybody or anything. But when he acts, we must do something because it changes even our condition and place and circumstances. So we must do something. So God says, I will, I will. And then in verse 9, we saw last week, as for you, Abraham... Here's what you are to do. And then in verse 15, and God said to Abraham, as for Sarah. So now he, he said, because God is acting and doing something, it has meaning and, and, and calling to everybody else. So he says, as for you, Abram, here's what, Abraham, here's what you are to do. And he gives him the sign of covenant and tells him to enact this sign as a way to show he believes in obedience. And then he says, now, as for Sarah, as for Sarah, in verse 15, God said to Abraham, as for Sarah, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarah, but Sarah. So now I can do it. Sarah shall be her name. I will bless her. And moreover, I will give you a son by her. I will bless her and she shall become nations. Kings of peoples shall come for her. Sarah is a derivative of the word for princess on one side, almost as if who are your, uh, who are those who've gone before you? What line are you in? And now he flips it and says, but now we're going to call her Sarah, which is another derivative of the word princess. This is almost a, who are your descendants going to be? In other words, this name is pointing to the promise itself of you are a princess and you are going to give birth to who? Kings. And nations, nations will come from her. So he changes her name saying she's a princess. She's going to give birth to nations. Kings of peoples shall come from her. Then, then Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said to himself, shall a child be born to a man who is a hundred years old? Shall Sarah, who is 90 years old, bear a child? And Abraham said to God, Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. So let's look at here what happens with Abraham. Because I, I really think this is important because it could be understood in a couple different ways. But Abraham hears this promise. And, and really, I believe for the first time, and I may be wrong. I didn't look this up, so I'm going to say it anyway. It's recorded. Who cares? I mean, y'all can fact figure me out. Fact check it. But I'm... But as we look at this, 
I believe this is the first time that the Lord has said specifically that he's going to give a child to Sarah. Before he said, great nations will come from you, Abraham. Before he said, great nations are going to come from you and your name will be great and, and you'll have descendants, stars of the sky, sand of the sea. But remember, in the midway through this, they tried to figure out how to do that on their own. And they gave Hagar, Sarah gave Hagar to Abraham saying, let's do it this way because that's the only way we can figure this out. One, I'm getting old. Two, we've never had kids, so I'm barren. And so let's do it this way. And that way didn't work. That's Ishmael. That way didn't work. It was not God's design. And now God, sometimes later, when Abraham is 99 years old, remember that happened before when he was 86 with Ishmael. Now he's 99 years old and he looks and says, he, thankfully, he doesn't say, and my wife is real old. You know what I'm saying? Uh, he just says she's 89. She, he knows what he's doing. And so he says this. He says, now what in the world? We're, it's even later here. God has waited even longer here now. And Abraham is looking at this and he does what? What maybe all of us will do? He laughs. Abraham fell on his face and laughed. Now, I think this is important because some people have used this to question Abraham's faith. Now, the reason why I say that is because in just a little bit over here, Sarah's going to hear of her birth. And what is Sarah going to do? She's going to laugh. And so ultimately, when she laughs, it seems because she gets addressed in her laughter, it seems as if she's doubting. In other words, there seems to be a difference between the laughter of Abraham and the laughter of Sarah, right? And, 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 and I think what we'll see then is maybe, and I don't think you can dissect this much, but you see really three different kinds of laughter. There's the laughter of unbelief, like, ha, that ain't even gonna happen, you know? Disbelief. There's that laughter of wonder, like, ha, I cannot believe this is happening. And then, of course, there's the laughter of joy. And we're gonna see these, we're gonna see these all add up in this passage, because I believe what Abraham has is a laughter of wonder here. Why? Because notice his position. What did Abraham do whenever he heard this from the Lord? He fell down on his face, an act of worship. He's still positioned humbly before God. It's not as if he's standing before God and doubting what he can do, doubting what he can accomplish. He's still positioned humbly before God in a face down look, and he is he's giving an act of worship when he laughs. But I want us to help us do this because this really challenges, you know, when we read about Abraham, we read about his faith, right? And he was justified by his faith. And then we want to emulate that same kind of faith. It's Abraham's faith that made him righteous. And so we see that with Paul. And here, many people have questioned Abraham's faith because he laughed at God. But I believe Abraham is laughing with a laughter of wonder. Now, here's why I do. Because I believe the best interpreter of scripture is what? Scripture. So let's read more Bible and turn with us to Romans chapter 4. Turn with us to Romans chapter 4 and the Apostle Paul writing, because Apostle Paul wants to make Abraham's faith centric in the understanding of the advancement of the gospel and emulating that would be important for us as believers as that promise is realized in Romans chapter 4. I don't know if y'all have noticed, but tonight already I've used my glasses way more than ever before. I think it's because this stage is raised up for six inches or something. 
So he says here in Romans chapter 4, that's why it depends on faith, verse 16, in order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his offspring, speaking of Abraham, not only to the adherents of the law, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you the father of many nations in the presence of the God in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. In hope, he believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations as he had been told. So shall your offspring be. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead. That's a great way to say you're really old. Since he was about 100 years old or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb, no unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. That is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. Now, before we think that Abraham hears what God says, Sarah who is 89, and Abraham's like, she's old, you know, and he's 99, they may have been able to have any kids, and God says she's going to have the kid. This is how you're going to become great. There's going to come a child from Sarah. And Abraham falls on his face and laughs, and that's why I think there's a distinction between the laughter, because when the Apostle Paul exegetes this passage, right, he says it's a proof of Abraham's faith, not proof of his lack of faith. Notice what he says here about Abraham. Abraham's faith. First of all, he had faith because as we look, Isaac's birth was going to be humanly impossible. Isaac's birth would be humanly impossible. I mean, again, 99 years old, 89 years old, no child will get to what Sarah says in a little bit. And y'all can read that for yourself. But not only that, Abraham knew that the only way it could be possible would be from God. Only God can do this. So all glory would be given to God and not Abraham, not his sinful nature, not Sarah, not that at all. No glory belongs to him. It all belongs to God. This is what Abraham's faith looks like. Abraham's saying, I know that if, I, if this child will be born, it will only be born because God does it. Therefore, God will give all the glory. God will get all the glory. And so notice some of the things it says about Abraham in here. Notice some of the things it says. First of all, it says that the presence of God was in whom he believed. Abraham believed in the presence of God in verse 17. The first thing about faith is that you have to believe God exists, right? And not just any God, but the God, the creator of heaven and earth, the one who holds everything in his hands. The first thing about faith is that you have to believe he exists. And, and, and as many have said, and I don't want to oversimplify things, but really the very heart of Christianity is found in Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. If you believe that, then everything else in Scripture is easy to believe. Everything else in Scripture falls right in line. If we believe that there was a God who is eternal that made everything, and even as Genesis 1 says, he spoke it all into existence. So by the very word of his mouth spoke everything into existence. If we believe that, then we should have no problem believing that he told the waters to part and let his people drop past through on dry ground, right? 
We should have no problems believing that he looks at a dead man and says, get up and walk because he is the giver of life and death. We should have no problem believing in any miracle of scripture, especially the prophets looking into the future and making a statement through the power of God and believing that's true. We should have no problem in anything supernatural because we believe a God exists outside of space and time that made all of this, shapes all of this, and holds all of this together. And that God can step into it at any moment he pleases and change whatever he would like to change and do. We have no problem with this. That's where faith begins for us. And even the author of Hebrews says this. If you, if you look over in Hebrews chapter 11... In Hebrews chapter 11, he says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, for the conviction of things not seen. For by it the people of old received their commendations. By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. In other words, your faith begins in Hebrews 11, this this chapter of faith, this hall of faith, if you will, it begins with believing that God created everything. God created everything. It begins with that. And then after that, it all falls in line. For Abraham, in, in, in Romans chapter 4, for Abraham, it says that's where his faith began. That's where his faith began, in the presence, in the presence of the God in whom he believed. But not only that, he says that he believed because of that presence of God. He believed in hope. He believed against hope. And that's an interesting way to put it. I mean, there comes a point for us maybe sometimes that hope becomes irrational, right? That, that what we're hoping for, when I say irrational, what we're hoping for, it doesn't quite fit into our way that we scheme rhyme or reason, you know? In fact, Here's the problem throughout Christianity's history. Throughout Christianity's history, people have always tried to cater Christianity in such a way that it made sense to man. And so we look at life. How many of y'all in here have ever seen someone walk on water? I have. Just when you're pulling them on a boat behind with a, with a ski <laughs> thing and you're going about 60 miles an hour and the tube goes out from under them and they dance for a little bit and then they, and then they end up hitting hard. Y'all know what I'm saying. Nobody's ever seen that. No one of us has ever. So it, obviously it's never happened. We've never seen it happen. How many of us have ever seen someone, seen someone that we can, without a shadow of a doubt, know was dead and was raised alive? None of us have seen these things. So it's outside of rationality, right? So we need to protect Christianity because obviously it's an older faith where people believe those kind of things, the supernatural things. They believe those back in the day, but now we are advanced in our skills, right? Now we can put me on video and put it out the next day for the world to see. Now we know what we're doing and we recognize that science has advanced in such a way that those things aren't true. Those things aren't true. So it's beyond hope itself. But even Abraham, it said, believed against hope. He had hope against hope because we know that's nonsense. We know that Christianity doesn't need saving. And if you try to save Christianity by making it what we consider man-centered, then you're only destroying it in its essence. When you take the supernatural out of this, 
then you're destroying it. So sometimes we look at things and we go, if I'm going to believe that, it's going to be against all my senses, all my belief. It's going to be against all of that. If I'm going to believe that to be true, there's nothing humanly possible that can make that true. And yet Abraham says, I know it can be that way. He hopes against hope. I know it can be true. He's looking at it and saying, I am old man. There's no way we can have a kid. I'm sure. And y'all don't laugh at this. I'm sure he tried. You know what I'm saying? Y'all try not to. And he's saying it's not, it's, it's not possible. But he hopes against hope. He hopes against hope. Not only that, it says even more so. In the midst of that hope. Now remember, he got a promise when he was in his early to mid-70s, right? And, and he was told, you leave the Ur of the Chaldeans, your hometown, and you go to this new land I was going to show you. So he did. So it's been about 30 years now, roughly. 25 years, roughly. And even in that, what does it say? Paul says, he did not weaken in faith. He did not weaken in faith. It would have been really a, an odd, crazy thing if he would have had a if he would have been able to have a child right when God made the promise. Right, that was he was still old, but now God, in His timing, which is always best, has gone and waited another 25, 30 years or so, and so that didn't weaken his faith. He still believed. He didn't weaken his faith, as it says, when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead, since he was about a hundred years old. Any y'all in here a hundred years old? If you are, I was going to tell you, you're as good as dead. But that's what the Bible says. That's what the Bible says. So I don't, a straight Bible. Wouldn't be me, I'm just saying. My grandma, my grandma did. She, she lived, I mentioned this passage to her one time. I was, I was sitting with her and she, she lived to be 100, almost 101. And, and I said, Grandma, you know what it says about 100-year-olds in the Bible? They're about as good as dead. And she said, well, I know, is what she said. We don't all get there to where we know that, but she knew it. You know what I mean? He says, even in, even in that, even in that knowledge, it did not weaken his faith. Then he says what? No unbelief. He keeps going. No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God. No unbelief made him waver. He never doubted in unbelief. And because of that, he grew strong in his faith. But notice what he says about his strong in his faith. He grew strong in his faith, giving glory to God. For he was fully convinced that God was able to do what he promised. Abraham knew he had hope against hope, not because he had or was convinced or had any kind of hope in his own abilities. His body was weak. He was old. It wasn't because he had any kind of hope in what he could do. He had hope in what God could do. And Paul says, look at what Paul says if you keep going here. But the words it was counted to him were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. In other words, the kind of faith that it takes for us is the same kind of faith it took for Abraham. 
Because it says Abraham believed in God. He believed he existed. He believed he was in control. He believed he could do things that no one else could do and only he could do. And he trusted in them. And when God made a promise, Abraham believed what? He would fulfill that promise. Was Abraham perfect? Absolutely not. That's not what that means. Abraham will have moments of doubt. He'll have times where he makes dumb decisions. He'll have those moments. But in the essence of who he is and what he's saying here, Paul says at his very heart, he hears Sarah's going to have a child. He goes to his face and he laughs in wonder. I can't believe this is true. I can't believe it's true. Abraham laughs because he had faith. And so when you add scripture here with scripture and you see how Paul goes and looks at Abraham's faith, this is exactly what he says. And if you flip over again to Hebrews chapter 11, you see this section here about Abraham starting in verse 8. Abraham obeyed when he was called out. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called out to go to a place that he would receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. That's good words right there. I like that. By faith, Sarah herself received the power to conceive, even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man, and him as good as dead, y'all know what that means, were born descendants as many as the stars of the heaven and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. Just as God said it would be, it happened, even though it didn't seem like it could. It didn't seem like it could. I don't know about y'all, but there is no way in my mind when I read the scripture, when I consider the world, when I look at my own life, I don't understand how it makes any sense whatsoever. I don't understand how anybody could desire this in any way. And that would be, how does anybody ever want to diminish who God is and what he is? Our problem is we don't have a big enough view of God. And what he can accomplish and what he can do. Let's not make him smaller. Let's make him greater. And that's exactly what the psalmist says. Come, let us magnify the Lord together. And remember, I told you there's two ways to magnify the Lord. I'm going to tell you again in case you wasn't listening. There's that way where you have something that's really small. So you take a microscope so that you can see it and bring it so you can maybe make some things out. That's not what he's talking about when the psalmist says that. What he's talking about is that way where something is great and majestic and glorious, yet it is far from us, like the stars in the sky, if you will, like the planets. And you take that telescope and you make that closer and you bring that glorious thing in here closer. And what the psalmist is saying is let's magnify the Lord together. He who is great, he who is majestic, he who is holy, he who can do all things anytime he wants to in any way, let's bring him closer, not farther away. And we want to bring him closer because we know that our God is big and strong and mighty and there's, y'all know that song? Nothing our God cannot do. 
And we sing those songs as kids and we even put it in our children's hearts that there's a God who's out there. But when we get as adults, we begin to get beat up by a world who tells you that's not true over and over again. Let's not forget those promises is what Abram did. And Paul says, that's the faith we want to emulate. That's the faith we want to emulate. We want to believe he is big and we want to laugh in wonder at what he can do and accomplish. It's what Abraham does. Now, looking back to Genesis, looking back to Genesis again, like we got the one verse so far. And I told you I was going to do like three chapters tonight. But since we don't gain an hour or lose an hour for another couple days. And Abraham said, oh, next, Sarah, 90 years old, bear a child. And Abraham said to God, oh, that Ishmael might live before you. Abraham, I think this is a sweet moment. Ishmael's his son. And he just got told that Ishmael's not the son of the promise. It's Isaac. It's going to be this other son who comes from Sarah. And so he says, what about Ishmael, basically? I want him, God. What about him? And God said, no. But Sarah, your wife, shall bear you a son, and you shall call his name Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his offspring after him. As for Ishmael, I have heard you. Y'all remember what Ishmael's name is? The Lord hears. So the Lord's playing it here. As for Ishmael, the Lord hears, I have heard, is what he says. I have heard you. Behold, I've blessed him and will make him fruitful and multiply him greatly. He shall father 12 princes and I will make him into a great nation. But I will establish my covenant with Isaac, whom Sarah shall bear to you at this time next year. Now, we, we talked about Ishmael before. And what God is saying is he's not. It's not going to be like, like, uh, like Cain was with a mark on him outside. Ishmael will be blessed. But it's Isaac who is the child of promise. It's Isaac who is going to continue. And remember, I told you in Genesis, you have these two lines, if you will. There's always in this genealogy two strands. It's the seed of the serpent versus the seed of the woman. Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. And we saw that with the Canaanites. We see that with the Canaanites. And even with Ishmael, you see this one who is over against the one of the promise. And so with Isaac, it's him. And after he said this, Establish my covenant with Isaac, whom Sarah shall bear to you at this time next year. When he had finished talking with him, God went up from Abraham. Then Abraham took Ishmael, his son, and all those born in his house are bought with his money and every male among the men of Abraham's house. And he circumcised the flesh of their foreskins that very day, as God had said to him. Abraham was 99 years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin. And he was good as dead. That about killed him too. And Ishmael, his son, was 13 years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin. That was the very day Abraham and his son Ishmael were circumcised. The, the idea here is the same thing we've seen before with Abraham. God said, I want you to leave the earth of Chaldeans and go to the land of promise. And what did it say next? So Abraham went. God tells him to go and Abraham goes. You see his obedience, his, his non-hesitation obedience. And that's what we see here again. God gives him the sign of circumcision. He tells him the promise. And he even says, not Ishmael, but Abraham is obedient. And he goes, just as he says, on that very day. And he does exactly what God says for him to do. Again, 
When God makes a promise, it demands something from us. And the only response that is right is for obedience. Abraham becomes our example here. And then he says, after he's circumcised, chapter 18. Now, chapter 18 and 19, these are two incredible passages. And really, I want to say that 18 and 19, I believe, do go together. I believe they are putting the uh, Moses here is putting two different people and two different circumstances up against the other. So what I want to do is I want us to consider this next week. We'll look at 18, 1 through one through eight, uh, just to give you a, a little heads up. It says, and the Lord appeared to him. That's to Abraham. Now notice what it says. And the Lord in the text there, it's Yahweh. Anytime you see L-O-R-D, all in caps in my Bible, that's the ESV. I think in most, that's where it uses that name, Lord. And so this is the covenant name of God, right? This is what God gives to Moses uh, at in, in Exodus 3. So as Moses is writing this, even though that scene hasn't happened, Moses knows no other way to refer to God, I believe, ultimately, than the way God has shown him to refer through his covenant. And so here, that's what he says. He wants to give it clear of who this is. The Lord appeared to him by the oaks of Mamre, and he sat at the door of his tent in the heat of the day. He lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, three men were standing in front of him. When he saw them, he ran from the tent to meet them and bowed himself to the earth and said, O oh Lord, if I have found favor in your sight, do not pass by your servant. In other words, let me show you hospitality, right? Let me welcome you in. By the way, it was rules of the day when someone needed hospitality at your house. You showed them hospitality. In fact, they even had, even had rules of what you were to do for them and washing their feet, providing food for them and other things. And so Moses, uh, Moses, Abraham says, let me show you. Let me do this. Don't pass by. Stay with me, in other words. Now, I want you to see that 18 is going to go right along with 19. You're going to see this comparison between Abraham and Lot. And I think those two, we'll see this next week. Those two go side by side. But tonight, just consider here, Abraham is out in the middle of nowhere with his wife, Sarah, and all his people and his sheep. He's doing what God said. You live in this land. So he puts himself in the midst of that land. And these three appear to him. And as it becomes clear of these three, one of them is the Lord himself. And so remember what we talked about last week. There are physical appearances of God in the Old Testament. And anytime there's a physical appearance of God in the Old Testament, who is that? Jesus, right? For God is a spirit. He does not have a body like men. We know this. And so God, the second person of the Trinity, the, 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 the son, the God, the son comes and appears before Abraham here. I love that Jesus says, Abraham saw my day and rejoiced in John. You know what I'm saying? He knew it. This is, he's looking toward this. Abraham had met him before. He meets him here. So it says, and why do we know this? Because of the response from Abraham. Response in the text here. 
So Abraham sees he's got visitors. Don't pass by your servant. Let a little water be brought out. Wash your feet. Rest yourselves under the tree. Y'all go take a nap while I bring a morsel of bread that you may refresh yourselves. And after that, you may pass on since you have come to your servant. So they said, do as you have said. Great. So they're going to allow, allow Abraham to show hospitality. And Abraham went quickly into the tent to tell Sarah, y'all... Y'all probably have been in this situation before. Guess what, honey? I invited some people over. Yeah? Y'all ever been there? So let's cook. And he says to Sarah, quick. I love that. They even put that word in there. Hurry up. I don't, three seas of fine flour. I look down my little, my little Bible here. Now I definitely have to have my glasses for this. Got a little, little superscript six on it over that word sea. And I look down to see that. And that says equal to seven quarts or seven liters. Now he told them, this is obviously Abraham's from the South. Cause he told them, I'm going to make y'all a little morsel of bread. And he went in there to his wife, Sarah, you go ahead and get seven liters, you know, and don't make that gluten-free stuff. We want the good flour. You go get it. He says, you go get it, get the good stuff, the seas of fine flour. Y'all know that's the good stuff. Get that stuff, knead it and make cakes. Now, again, these guys are, well, I don't know what kind of nap they're taking out here. But it doesn't sound like you can do this in just a couple minutes. You know what I'm saying? But it's quick. Hurry up. So he gets Sarah on it. Then he runs. I love this whole scene because it's like, quick, three seeds of fine need. Need it. Make cakes. Abraham ran to the herd, took a calf, tender and good, gave it to one of the young men, prepared it quickly. Then he took curds and milk and the calf had all that prepared, set it before him. That took about 10 hours right there, I guarantee you. You can't have a barbecue. You know what I'm saying? in like 20 minutes. But it's this sense with Abraham here that he has special guests in his house and he is going to care for them. He is going to show hospitality to them. By the way, uh, Hebrews 13 verse 2, be careful, you entertain some strangers, you may entertain angels unawares, right? Most commentators point back to this passage to say, see, look at this. And so make sure that we show hospitality. Why? Because hospitality has been shown to us. And so when strangers come in, this is how we treat them. And Abraham even becomes an example in this way. But I want you to see what happens here. God makes a promise to Abraham and Abraham laughs in wonder and believes. And he does what God says. And guess what that earns him? And if I can use earn in this way, it brings him communion with God himself. God is going to come and eat with him. God is going to come and rest with him. He's going to come be there. So it is for us, right? By faith, we walk trusting in the God who can save us and redeem us. And what does it bring us every single day? We got it better than Abraham because Abraham had to wait on the visitors to come and them to take a nap under it and get everything else. But what God has provided for us is why Jesus says, it's better for me to go away because when I go away, who's coming to you? The helper will come and communion will be there. Those who have faith have communion with God. And that communion now has already been realized through the power of the spirit dwelling within us. But it is fully not yet come because there'll be a day when we will meet, eat with him again and rest. 
And so here we see the blessings already of those who have faith. The blessing of those who have faith. And Abraham shows hospitality is right for us. When you read commentaries on this, they go all kind of different directions. You know, how do you treat friends and all this other kind of stuff. But I just love the fact that the clear reading here is that Abraham believed God. He did what God said and God ate with him and feasted with him. He did it and God was with him. And they said to him, where is Sarah, your wife? And he says, she's in the tent. She's still, her fingers hurting and all that kind of stuff from needing the bread. The Lord said, I will surely return to you. Notice here what it says. The Lord said, y'all see that? The Lord said, I will surely return to you about this time next year and Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. He ain't joking. And Sarah was listening at the tent door behind them. Now, Abraham and Sarah were old. We know this already, right? Advanced in years. The way of women had ceased to be with Sarah. Y'all talk about that later again amongst yourselves. It's impossible. So Sarah laughed to herself. Notice the difference in posture here. Abraham laughed. Where was he? On his face before God humbled in wonder. Sarah laughs. And what is she doing? In the kitchen, still cleaning up from making bread. Huh, ain't got no baby. Her laughter becomes laughter of disbelief, if you will. It's crazy. She even says to herself, after I'm worn out and my Lord is old, she called Abraham Lord, ladies, just saying. Don't do it. It gets to our heads. <laughs> After I'm worn out and my Lord is old, shall I have pleasure? She says, this is, it's, it's nonsense. Abraham laughs in wonder. Sarah laughs in disbelief. This is, can't even happen. The Lord said to Abraham, now, now you know Abraham was feeling this one. Hey, why is your wife laughing? You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Abraham, why is she laughing? Shall I indeed bear a child now that I'm old? Why is she saying that, Abraham? And then he says something that's so good for us to underline. Is anything too hard for the Lord? Is anything too hard for me? It's a rhetorical question, Abraham. It's a rhetorical question. Is anything too hard for me? Consider the source of the promise. Is anything too hard for me? At the appointed time, I'll return to you. And about this time next year, and Sarah shall have a son. Reiterating that promise. Is anything too hard? Next year, I'm coming back and she'll be pregnant. She'll have a son. But Sarah denied it and I would too. God bless her. I didn't laugh. What y'all talking about? She didn't think anybody was listening. Don't you ever forget that the Lord always knows. You know what I'm saying? We are always living our life before an audience of one. Y'all know what I mean. Even in the moments you think you are all by yourself, and even when you don't say it out loud, some of y'all hold to the fact that you didn't say it out loud, but you still thunk it. God heard it. And you'll do just like Sarah. I didn't say anything. What y'all talking about? 
Why? Because she was afraid. And he said, no, you laughed. You laughed. God knows always. And that no, but you laughed that God says to Sarah right then is almost like, watch. Watch what I do. Flip over with me to chapter 21. Verse 1. The Lord visited Sarah. Y'all get the next line? As he had said. If there's anything else you get out of any of these, looking back through Genesis, is God always does what he says. The Lord visited Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised. And Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age at the time in which God had spoken to him. Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, whom Sarah bore him, Isaac, making it clear this is the one. This is the one Sarah bore him. This is Isaac. And what does Isaac mean? He laughs. And Abraham circumcised his son Isaac when he was eight days old as God had commanded him. Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. And Sarah said, God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears laughs over me. I'd say there's three kinds of laughter, right? Maybe that laughter of wonder that Abraham has. That laughter of disbelief that Sarah displays. But in the end, we all have that laughter of joy. And Sarah's saying, I laughed doubting God, but God has been faithful. And who's laughing last but me again? But this time, it's out of joy. Joy of God's promises. Joy that she holds in God's promises. And God's promises were as real to her as a little baby boy in her arms. And she says, I laugh. I'm thankful that God takes even our little laughs and quips of disbelief and turns them into joy. And remember what we've said throughout all this time. The main character of God's word is who? God himself. And what we see, just like we've seen before, is that God is faithful to keep his promises even when it looks as if there's no way God makes a way. And for us, our response should be just like Abraham. We have faith. We have faith that God is who he says he is and he can do what he says he will do. Even when it looks like nonsense to us, we still believe. We still believe. And if you were just to uh, examine your faith, it's like one of my friends who always says when people come up to him and says, I can't believe y'all believe all those things you believe, right? And you know what his response is? Oh, if you only knew, we believe way more than you could possibly know. You know? <laughs> yeah, we believe Jesus is coming back. Not only that, it's a white horse. He's going to be riding that thing. See? He's going to split it wide open. Just think of the things we believe. But for us, this is a foolishness. It's the promises of God. And so we live every day, every step, everywhere we go, believing the promises of God. For he has never forsaken them. And he never will. 
Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your goodness to us, not leaving us questioning you or wondering what we should do, but you have been clear to state to us your promises. And not only have you been clear to do that, Father, you have demonstrated your faithfulness in bringing about every promise because we believe in a son who was born as well, a son who was greater than Isaac. And that son is your own son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. And in him, Father, you kept every single promise you ever made. And there on the cross, he secured the fact that all those who have faith in him will commune with him forever. And so, God, by your grace and for your glory, may we have faith. May we have faith in your son, Jesus Christ, whom you have provided. Thank you, God, for your kindness to us in all things we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank y'all. We'll see you this Sunday. Even if we see you a little early this Sunday, we'll still see you.